0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Clean Techies, the podcast. This is season two, episode nine, or if you're counting from the beginning, episode 21, Uh, Gosh, it's gone by so fast. We have so many, so many episodes out now. Just can't look, can't wait for uh, the day when we get to into the hundreds. So this is gonna be exciting. Um, But yeah, before we get started, please do remember to subscribe, tap the bell uh, to be notified if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, Definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if if that's where you listen. That always helps us to get to get more reach. Uh, And also a quick reminder, as usual, that this podcast is made possible and sponsored by Next Wave Partners. Uh, Next Wave Partners is passionate about working with people and organizations to. To drive the transition towards a sustainable and innovative future. Uh, next Wave Partners creates opportunities and shapes markets globally by providing elite human capital solutions. So they can help you with your recruiting recruiting needs as well as talent retention. Uh, there's a lot of exciting things that Next Wave is doing. So if you're looking to grow your team or take your career to the next step, please do reach out to Next Wave directly. Uh, you can do so by emailing them at info at next-wavepartners.com. Or you can go to their website and find a consultant uh, who who will be able to basically help you. You can reach out to them directly through um, through LinkedIn, and the, the website is next-wavepartners.com. And uh, so with that, let's get into today's episode. Today's episode was a really great conversation with Holly Lichtenfeld. Uh, she is the Chief Growth and Strategic Alliances Officer at Sustainabase. And <clears throat> generally speaking, Sustainabase is uh, what it is, is an ESG SaaS platform that helps companies to track, our record, record set and hit their esg targets as well as their sustainable development goals obviously this is a very hot topic right now a lot of people are discussing this so i figured it'd be a great conversation to have at this moment uh, in time so really was able to kind of get some clarity on what exactly they do what are the challenges um, what types of companies should be tracking their ESG. So it was a really interesting conversation as usual, went in many directions, but we covered a lot of ground. So with that, um, I hope you enjoy the show as much as as much as much I did recording it. It was a really great conversation and uh, yeah, let's get into it. All right. Welcome. Welcome to the show, Holly. Thank you so much for coming on today. How, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing really well. I'm very happy to be here.
0: Great. I'm glad. I'm glad you're happy to be here. We're really excited to have you. So, could you, I guess, for everybody listening, just give us a quick background on yourself, kind of your story, uh, and you know how you ended up at SustainaBase.
1: Yeah, sure. So, I'll start by describing SustainaBase. So SustainaBase is a SaaS software company, and we have a tool that enables organizations, whether they're corporations or municipalities, to track their carbon emissions, waste, water, packaging, anything they need to um, track related to ESG, environmental, social and governance um, data components. And then we run the calculations for them in the system so that they look at all that converted to carbon emissions as they need to. So um, my background is um, I have worked in sustainability and renewable energy over the years, primarily at startups. Um, Early in my career, I worked at a really fun startup in the early 2000s um, in the renewable space. And what was cool about that is um, we um, did the first installation at Googleplex at the time. Um, And sort of similar to the work that I do now, What was cool about that is we use that as a thought leadership move to educate other companies on if Google's doing this, to follow that. And just like what's going on in the um, space around uh, measuring your carbon and all of that, seeing so many companies doing it and making it easier for them is a great way to get other people involved. Um, and then I think you also asked how I got to Sustainabase. So um, I was serving on a sustainability advisory board for a city. And I met Matt Zirkelback, who's one of the founders of Sustainabase. And um, we were working on a team for the city together. It was a client, it's a client of Sustainabase's. And we realized. Um, we had very much values in common, and I was super excited about what they were doing. And so um, that was really my gateway to started working with the company.
0: Awesome, very good. yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting how tight the space is, especially a lot of people coming from renewables, like you, you like you had mentioned over into into this ESG space. I think that there's also a lot of ambiguity around exactly what ESG is. So maybe you could help us to understand that a little bit more depth. Could you explain? what ES&G stand for, kind of what what they each mean, and just kind of break that down in a little bit more depth.
1: Absolutely. So it stands for environmental, social, and governance. And um, these are essentially the three main pillars that a lot of investors and um, companies are looking to um, define better And uh, we'll talk about this I'm sure as we go and come up with ways um, to make it more consistent, what's being reported. But in the E pillar are environmental things like your carbon emissions footprint. Like I'd said, we're starting to track things more and more companies like waste and important resources like water fall under that. Um, And then translating that all to understanding your carbon emissions. And then under the social one, a lot of the clients we work with call that their people area. So that's where you're looking at things like how diverse is your workforce? Are you doing um, a good job of diversifying your board if you're a public company or even a private company? Um, And um, are you training your existing staff on those topics? And then the G, which is the governance kind of pulls it all together is do you have good policies in place are you giving many people throughout your organization access to the information? So one of the things our system does is it hits on the and governance because a lot of those E and S components are scattered throughout organizations. And when you put it together in one system, then you can give more people in the enterprise access to it. And you're kind of checking a box on governance in that you can have your senior leaders, your board, and other people now have data visualizations and information to help them understand that better.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I'm curious, maybe, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming you work with a lot of different types of clients, but what about with smaller companies? You, you've obviously worked in a number of startups yourself. So I'm just curious, you know, when things are young and they're just like getting things going, they may not prioritize putting these things on the list, getting policies in place, right? The the word policy might scare even some of the employees, right? So could you talk about kind of the, maybe the struggles that some companies have, or, or maybe the benefit of still implementing this, even if you are a small company?
1: Yeah, I think that the, the good news is if you're a small company, then you have a smaller footprint, right? So it's a little easier to get your hands around it. A lot of the approach we take with, um, we work with all size companies. So we have smaller companies all the way up to multi-billion companies. So we really do work across the board. Um, so with the smaller companies, we really look at what their needs are because some small companies are selling into big companies like Walmart. And Walmart has a program called Project Gigaton. And if those small companies participate in, there are some advantages and recognition for them. So if they start to do their building blocks early and they get, you know, what's appropriate for them, because, and that's also a lot of the way we look at it is we want to help you so that you can focus on your work, but still do these good things at the same time. But I think those small businesses have ways that they can just start on the path without, you know, going overboard. And then as they grow, They'll be able to amp it up.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So it's almost at this point, given kind of the the movement, and maybe you could talk about this for larger companies. Uh, it sounds like, especially especially with the, the the example that you gave of Walmart, that it can be actually a business advantage to these companies to implement these things, so they can get the stamp of approval from these um, from the frameworks. Which maybe maybe why don't we do that? Why don't we talk about those frameworks next? Could you mention some of those um, companies and how that's being? Um, rolled out. I'm, I'm very curious about how this is working, given that, especially in the U.S., there's not really um, regulations per se on these things, so could you talk about that as well?
1: Yes, so um, the regulatory framework is a little bit of a wild west. We have a lot of companies that are being asked to report to a lot of frameworks, fill out different things for their customers, So um, there are a lot of different um, companies that are asking their supply chain to report into them. So the approach we take is we collect all the data to what's called the greenhouse gas protocol. It's like the good accounting practices for carbon and all these other components. So that whatever reporting or regulatory framework you have to report into, you know that you followed by, by us following it and knowing the guidelines, you've built it in an appropriate way. And then um, some of the regulatory frameworks, or frameworks are things like CDP um, is, a, is a very um, widely known one. There's SASB, S-A-S-B, that one is um, very widely used as well. They have sector, different um, reporting you have to submit depending on what sector you're in. Then there's um, TCFD, which is financial leaning a little bit more and more into climate risk, as well as the other components. Um, There's really, I think it's called an alphabet, (laughs) an alphabet soup. And so um, there's a lot out there. So that's why, um, you know we see this need and we come in and help to, because there's a front end where there's data that you have to collect. You don't even know what data to collect and then how to apply the calculations. And then there's the other side, which is various companies are being asked to do all these different kinds of reporting.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it could be a really messy process, especially for a small team that has limited resources, right? So my, my guess is, and maybe you could talk a little bit about this process of when you go into a company with, with Sustainabase, how you help them implement it. So. I'm assuming it takes a lot of time off of their plates, and you're helping to get them automated. So, could you maybe talk us through talk us through that that uh, procedure?
1: Yeah, um, it's it's a uh, very much um, understanding their needs, uh, where they're sitting today, and where they might go in the future. So, right now, for all these different companies, it's not like one size fits all. So, um, they may have different data they need to collect. It may depend on what industry you're in. So, we really help them to evaluate that so that You know, the idea is that you're collecting what's most meaningful to you. And we do work, you know, there's the reporting side of it, which we've been talking about. But then we also work with a lot of companies, thankfully, because this is, I'm very passionate about this, that want real data to inform real action. So that's what we help with is we do a process to really understand their individual business and make sure that we're helping them to um, focus on not collecting everything at least at the beginning over time they may add more things but it's you know start in the right way collect real data have that start informing what you're doing and and giving you a story to to share with your stakeholders
0: yeah i think that makes a lot of sense i think um, a lot of the companies that i've had on here in this climate tech space some of it just comes down to making you know identifying what's actually going on such as you know energy usage right in buildings right Identifying what's happening so that you can actually make and make an adjustment. So that's helpful. What are um, what are some of the biggest benefits? I'm assuming there's quite a number of benefits, but maybe if you could go into some detail about some of the the short and long term benefits of of implementing and tracking these things, I think a lot of people overlook or maybe are not fully aware of what it what it what the benefits are because a lot of times they they assume that if there's going to be regulatory uh, repercussions in the future, that it's actually just a pain in the butt to do this and there's no benefit. So could you talk about those benefits?
1: Yes, Um, I think there are many. So let's see if we can hit all of them. So the first one is, so I have a customer we work with and they are not, they're a privately owned company. They are not tied to any regulation right now but they feel it's part of their DNA and that their customers will appreciate it. But I think even on top of that, they're seeing money savings. So they are upgrading their air conditioning. They they have, you know, 30 plus locations. They're upgrading their HVAC systems. They're switching their fleet from diesel to compressed natural gas, to renewable natural gas, and ultimately to electric. They're um, installing solar in some of their locations. They're um, doing energy efficiency. And they look at all of those as good business now, money saving. And they're one of our clients, which um, we help to come up with an internal cost of, uh, internal cost of um, carbon, internal price for carbon. And so they're seeing that down the line, there may be regulation that, that makes them account for that, but now they want to incorporate in that, that in their decision-making. So there is a benefit if you um, understand that process that you incorporate into your spending. And when you're evaluating how much something is going to cost, especially something that's going to last for many years, you look at it from that perspective. And then there's, of course, the value of your customers and your investors um, perceiving what you're doing is positive, because there's all this data that shows that companies that are sustainable do perform better. Um, And so being able to go out there and show that you're even doing something like Making carbon neutral goals that are meaningful, and you're actually making action based on real data to reduce your emissions, and then offsetting what's left, that can be perceived very positively by your end customers and by your investors.
0: Okay, got it. Any any other you know other big benefits maybe on the social side of things that that you've typically seen?
1: Yeah, I think again that's a lot of. Um, perception is is a positive one as well as again all the data that shows that businesses do better that diversify their perspectives and their boards and their workforce and that's why um, there's a lot of investors that are pushing for that because they feel like in the end it, it actually helps the business.
0: Yeah that makes a lot of sense I think that there's there tends to be especially with the highly politicized world that we have in the U.S. that there tends to be just maybe disregard for these things and don't don't really look at the the in-depth long-term benefits. I I know as a recruiter seeing companies I mean it's been become very apparent that many people won't even consider being a, you know, applying to jobs if the company doesn't have a diverse board, right? Because they don't want to be part of it, right? Even though they might be trying to make that change. They have to like make up for it, right? So I think that these these things are typically under underlooked and maybe, you know, underanticipated what's happening. One thing I'm curious about is, you know, do you have an understanding of kind of what the regulatory uh, landscape looks like for these things? I know, obviously, in other parts of the world, there's a lot of this regulation that exists to help company to make sure companies track these things. But what do you see as the future for the regulatory kind of landscape in the U.S.? Um, What are some of the big items that might come up first? I'm just very curious to hear so businesses can kind of think about that and maybe get get the gears turning.
1: Absolutely. So you're right. the uh, The EU is is further along on this, but there's a lot of buzz now about the SEC looking at, um, you know, potentially um, regulating uh, climate is the one that comes up, and um, some of the S, some of the diversity, and they're taking, they were taking comments, and so basically, there's nothing that's come out the other side yet. But, um, but there's a lot of anticipation that that will come down the pike. Obviously, that will be for public companies. Um, and then on the other aspect of the regulatory world, um, so I would say the two things that are coming down are probably things around you know, I'm not an expert in this, so I'm just, you know, I happen yeah. to, to read a lot about it because we need to know where the data needs are going, but we're pretty well aligned with what we're hearing. So, again, just saying I'm not an expert in this, but what we're seeing is the SEC sounds like they're going to be coming out with something, and we know people are anxiously, you know, awaiting to see where that will be. Um, there are also some talk about looking at the definition of materiality, which is very important for um, for the investment world. Um, and then there's also talk of trying to streamline the regulatory frameworks we talked about earlier, but at least from what I'm seeing, it it's, feels like that's gonna take a while. Mm. I think yeah, it's gonna I, I, be messy. I think,
0: I think nothing in government moves very quickly, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, but we actually talked about that in the past uh, episode here about potentially speeding things up, but obviously government is made in a way that's not supposed to per se be quick so that's interesting um i do i did hear about that with the sec that that's interesting i think that could be um it could just really be a a pretty big pretty big um could create a lot of waves in the market so that's helpful to know um what do you feel i guess the necessity because i i if we think about this and obviously there's benefits it sounds like there's a lot of cost savings and a lot of people talk about the circular economy and how you know we we think about instead of from cradle to grave it's cradle to cradle um have there been to your knowledge any studies done that kind of maybe estimate because i know it's got to be very difficult to do estimate if companies implemented these practices how much you know more production there could be and how much savings there could be just in general and you know where where workforce is being put right now where they could be do you know of anything that exists like that that people could could look into
1: I don't know of anything off. that's super interesting though. I don't know of anything that that's run that calculation certainly doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Um, I'm even thinking of, you know, who might take something like that on, but, um, you know, I think there are lots of estimations out there more so about like, if we do this. So again, you know, using the Walmart program, they have this goal of removing a gigaton, um, Mm -hmm of emissions but it's less of what you're talking about where it's like where could the productivity go instead and all of that so yeah i don't have a i don't have an answer yeah to
0: that. it's it's a tough one i think that even some of the biggest consultancy firms probably wouldn't quite have the data to do that that's <laughs> that'll be interesting that may maybe brings us to another topic you mentioned um, earlier we talked about a little bit in that last answer you had talked about uh, investors right what about for larger companies or for companies that are looking to grow really quickly and scale are there going to be negative impacts to not implementing these things, especially as investment funds really start to implement these, these um, due diligence practices to make sure that the companies are doing such? Can you talk a little bit about maybe the negative consequences of, of not doing this?
1: And you're saying for, for certain size companies, you're asking that?
0: yeah for for companies that are seeking outside investment from private equity or from institutional investors to like you know a startup that's looking to raise funds, you know those types of companies that, are, that that's an important aspect for them. or maybe even if it's even if it's localized, uh, I'm not sure how how small this gets but local banks potentially issuing loans as well.
1: Right. Um, and I have to say again, because we work less so with you know startup startups, um, I'm not really sure what they're seeing to me though, based on if you take what's going on, like sort of as a microcosm, you know, or a macrocosm, I guess, of like everything that's going on with larger companies and assuming that's, that's trickling down, mm-hmm. um, you would think that so when companies go to acquire startups, they might really like to see one that is already moving along this way versus, let's say, Um, acquiring a startup that didn't think about sustainability at all and built like this incredibly carbon intensive, you know know what I mean? Like, let's say you're a startup and you're a startup in some sort of tech or manufacturing and like you happen to pick your supply chain with like, with none of this in mind. And so all of a sudden I'm going to be acquiring, it's almost like, actually now that we're talking about, I'm thinking about the cybersecurity world. So there's a whole thing now where when a company acquires a small company, they run them through cybersecurity hoops because they don't wanna take in anything that's going to bring a big cybersecurity risk with it. And now that you're asking the question, I could see that being similar that all these companies we're working with are trying to minimize their carbon footprint and the carbon footprint in their supply chain. And also you're gonna go and acquire someone who somehow has something. So I think some of that is, you know, from an acquisition perspective, might mm-hmm. be um, something to consider as well as how investors might perceive investing in you. Um, I could definitely see it that startups being a mirror of what's going on with the larger companies in that way.
0: Yeah, I think that's actually a great, um, we've never really talked about cybersecurity on this on this show at all, but I think that that is a great analogy. I know very little bit about it, but that's a pretty recent thing. We've seen so many issues in cybersecurity in our recent past, I think it's a little bit, yes. we can all <laughs> keep it close to our hearts. So, so um, that's interesting. Um, what have been what have been some of the big objections that companies have? If you're in a sales meeting, you're trying to you know get them to get on board with this process. What have been some of the of the objections to implementing and tracking these things?
1: Um, I think it's less. There's it's it's not a space. So it's really interesting. So I share in my early work in renewable energy, and one of the big things I worked on back then was barriers to entry because it was a huge problem in the early, early-ish 2000, because it was so mm-hmm. much more expensive than it is now. I feel like where we are in time with the ESG work is there are companies that are either on board and need it now, or there are ones that don't see it yet, either because they don't need it for some reason, or they're just, you know, they're they're not right there. So it seems like the world has tilted and um, kind of, I've been waiting and very happy this point is here, but like if you see BlackRock making the announcement, you know, all Mm -hmm. of these other big companies are pushing everything. So that is really reducing the objection part, I think, because, you know, I think it depends on how big you go with it and what is the right fit for the particular company. But I feel like it's starting to be pretty pervasive that some flavor of this is important to, just about every organization which excites me because that means we're all sort of Mm -hmm. moving in the right direction
0: yeah it's obviously it takes um it's very interesting to look at it from the adoption curve side of things right obviously solar is now at a point where it's probably it doesn't make any sense not to to do solar right and the same thing i think it looks like we're getting close to that with with esg and there's probably, there's there's lots of types of people. And I think that this is something I struggle with remembering those people think differently than I do. And there's maybe the more analytical people who are like, All right, I need to see the data before I'm going to implement this into my company. Um, so I think that as we go down there, that'll be interesting to see it just kind of take, take hold. Um, what if some of the... What have some of the biggest surprises been along the way things that you didn't expect that you all along this journey that are just really exciting or just just very interesting to consider
1: i would say it's what we just talked about so i've sort of been waiting for that moment when the lever clicks and there's because you know i've been looking at the data on climate change for a while actually um i've gone out i do unrelated to work although it's related Is i do talks at universities and things like that educating people about climate change and you know, it's been here for a while. And I've always worked on the business side of that, trying to get businesses to move along. And so I was waiting for that inflection point. So I guess this, it's, it's a pleasant surprise. Um, You know, you kind of feel like maybe it won't come. So I feel like we're at a moment in time that there's a lot more um, pointing in this direction and getting a lot more moment, like legitimate momentum, like it's feeling like it's real. And that, you know, the data shows that as more people live through climate um, impacts and all, all those people are business people, right? They're not just consumers, they're not mm-hmm. just individuals. They also work at companies and run companies. So we're getting more of a, and I think that that's a very pleasant surprise that yay, we're, we're at a moment. And I don't know if you're seeing that in the work that you do with the increase in, in jobs. I mean, I see on my LinkedIn, the increase in in comments and the fact that there are job openings in this sector is just exploding.
0: Yeah, it is definitely growing very quickly. Um, I always hesitate to use my LinkedIn as an example because it's we always create mini echo chambers, right? Um, yes, that's true. Within, within what we're looking for, but but no, I think that that's good. That's a good to hear that it is um, it is widely being accepted. I think that. I come from a very rural area of the world in Northern Wisconsin, and I, I'm always curious to understand how these big trends will be adopted or whether they whether or not they will be adopted. I know that there's a large portion of people in Northern Wisconsin still who, who don't necessarily think renewable energy is viable, right? Because they're stuck on data from 20 years ago, right? Um, so I'm curious to see how that will be rolled out. Um, you know, what are maybe... There's, there's a number of things we could talk about. I'm just curious. We didn't talk about this much. Could you explain a little bit about the different scopes, the one, two, and three scopes, uh, I believe it's called the emission scopes and wow. kind of how, how that affects companies. How can they look at it, especially for larger organizations, given that their suppliers may not report these things? What what does that look like? And could you explain all those things to us?
1: Sure. Um, there are three scopes and this is a um, uh, Kind of connected to what i talked about before which is the greenhouse gas protocol is a lot of the way that you know looks at how you account for these so we'll make our way through the scope so scope one is direct emissions so those are things that companies have direct control over and included in that are like owned and operated company facilities and company vehicles so your own fleet whether it's car fleet or truck fleet then there's scope two which is considered indirect one among scope two and scope three are both indirect, but they're different types of indirect. So scope two is indirect, and that is your purchased um, electricity. Um, So the stuff that comes from the utility. And then scope three is a whole range of indirect things. So that can be things like your employee commute and your employee business travel. It can be um, things like in your supply chain that you don't have control over. So if you use a contract manufacturer, that would be in that. It could be um, third party transportation and distribution. It could be um, even Mm -hmm. things like the use of sold items. Um, And so it's all of these things that by nature of you doing your business, you impact, but um, that you don't have direct. So for example, um, you don't really have direct control over what recycling options a consumer has near their home, but you are creating the material um, and you can make it more or less easy for, let's say, a majority of people in the country to be able to do something with it. So um, so those are the different the different scopes. And what we're seeing is um, a big trend. There was a time where you measured your scope one and scope two and you were you're done. But now the data is, especially a lot of companies, and if you think of how much we've outsourced manufacturing, that like 90% of a company's emissions live in their supply chain, which is their scope three. So we're working with a lot of companies that are having us go into their supply chain and collect data on their product emissions, their supplier emissions. And um, we're seeing a trend where um, there's something we, I wrote an article on this called the club, the carrot and the conversation. So, um, with your supply chain we're seeing some companies put a carrot out there, we would like you to account for report and reduce your emissions that's sort of the carrot maybe we'll do some nice things for you we will put more of your product on the shelf or we'll give you some favorable um, treatment, then there's um, the conversation, which is we analyze, let's say, transportation distribution for a company, and they realize a particular company makes up a lot of their emissions, they can go engage that company in conversation and make sure that that company knows it's important to the customer that they head towards zero emissions in a certain amount of time. So those are things that are happening. And the last thing is the club, where we're actually seeing some supply chain, some folks over their supply chain saying, we you need to emit uh, reduce emissions by this amount, otherwise there's gonna be penalty. We're not seeing a ton of that yet, but there's little bits of that. So all of a sudden scope three is more important than it ever was before. But you can start with scope one and scope two and then get in, you know, you don't have to do everything at the very beginning.
0: Yeah, and I think because it's such an integrated, right? You, you think about, I remember, what, you know, in high school, they talked about nobody knows how to make a pencil, right? Because there's so many aspects that go into it, right? Everything is intertwined, very, very in depth, right? So the more companies do implant these things, we'll have this, we'll have more data to be able to then, um, to then go out. You know, m- maybe one other item. I'm not sure if this is a if this if this is a big point or not, but I typically like to ask what. Can be done with all the data that's going to be collected. Is there are there like really big kind of goals that you that everybody's looking towards and saying, hey, once we get this or that, we know we can start to achieve these things or fix these problems. Are there any items like that that are you know going into consideration?
1: Um, I'm not sure I, I understand exactly. You mean like how are so? I guess maybe this will answer your question. So, you know, we go in and and provide a footprint for someone. Let's say they thought their electricity was gonna be their biggest issue. But it turns out actually the refrigerants, because when you apply the the correct calculation, Mm -hmm. and actually if anyone um, follows the drawdown project, just with that example, that's like one of the top um, sources of emissions. So all of a sudden the company goes, oh my, I was about to go do electricity stuff, but you know what, we're gonna start working on refrigerants first, or we're going to work on both. So sometimes there can be surprises um, and help them to, to really make moves that would be more impactful.
0: Yeah, I guess maybe maybe I think that just that answer gives us the answer anyways, because if as we collect more data, I think that we'll, there's so many things we probably don't know, right? We don't know what we don't know yet. And we can look at the macro then on all of these companies and see what are some of the big issues that need to be solved. Um, that's something I'm excited for. I just know that data is a tough one given, you know, you mm-hmm. have to, people need to share it, you want to keep privacy, et cetera, and you, you need to work on it. But that's that's interesting. Um, a couple other things here. So, what have been, for sustainability, as you've been with them, what have been the biggest challenges so far uh, for, for the company just growing in general?
1: Um, I, one of the interesting things, and, and I'm sure that every aspect, and and every aspect of clean tech has this is it's very ever changing and fast moving. So it's a challenge. I love, as you can tell, I love talking to people and hearing what they're dealing with. Um, But but that's going to be and continue to be a challenge is, um, is, is the fact that aspects of this and we have to stay on top of what's changing and um, ensuring that we're not only doing what's needed today but we're very much looking at like what's coming next so i think that's you know new 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 industry new tech that's always part of it it makes it exciting
0: yeah it probably has to be a little bit complicated too given that there are there is no one standard to use you have to constantly be understanding kind of what what's changing in that space um, that's that's got to be a big challenge especially the the good news
1: is at least the greenhouse gas protocol is pretty um established so it's more like the stuff swirling around what you pull out of it in a way um so hopefully you know i think that's got enough momentum that that will stay one of the main building blocks so that's that's something everyone can feel good about though i think Mm
0: -hmm. yeah absolutely and and what are some i guess what types of companies should be looking at implementing um, you know, a software like this? Are there any companies that you'd say it's really important for these? Because I'm assuming the answer is kind of all of them. But um, even if you think about small businesses and local, like rural areas, can you kind of explain where the most important um, aspects should be or which businesses should really be looking at it that can probably really, really heavily benefit from these things?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, we have a lot of exciting types of companies that we work with that all have great opportunities to, and and are, and okay. So first of all, I think if it's in your DNA and you want to be doing this right, then it's great to do it in the DNA of the brand. Um, there's a lot of companies that are in a position where that is important to them, but they also have. So if you supply to Walmart or at and there's a whole long list of companies that care And ask their supply chain to report out. So it's very important for those companies. And um, so come what comes with that is um, we work with technology companies because a lot of those have data centers and they have to, and there's sort of calculations that need to be done to accommodate for that. We've manufacturing companies, um, whether they own their own or have contract manufacturers, because again, everyone's being asked to not just be them, but down the pike. There's, uh, so it's technology, it's that, it's um, retail locations as well, retailers um, fall into that, professional services, um, so they have a lot of business travel, so it depends on what industry you're in, you have different things you have to measure. And then I think to your rural company example, so um, it's interesting you say that I was just talking to a company that is a manufacturer in a rural area, Small. it's a family owned business. They use a lot of electricity, though, in the manufacturing process. Um, But they also have a lot of constraints because there's not a lot of like good alternatives there. There's not like waste Mm. energy, let's say, and their waste option. So um, we were I was talking to them about like more creative things. So finding ways to um, maybe if there's any waste that they can use from someone else or that they can, you know, recycle elsewhere. So I think small rural companies have really interesting opportunities. I was actually spoken to another one that is a flower grower, and they have retaining ponds, and they also have local relationships to, um, they do um biofuel on, on their premises with stuff that they get from local companies. So, you know, if you start thinking about it, you can be super creative, and then also you have like this great story to tell, and I know that at those two companies, the one that's really enacting stuff, their employees. It's the earlier thing you were saying. They're this rural company, but they have these awesome, enthused employees because they feel so good about what the company is doing. So it feeds into that attracting talent component.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, for, especially if a a rural company that's, you know, small, specifically requires people on location, sometimes the, to get people to move there or to to be in those jobs especially if they're very skilled jobs it's very difficult so that's that can be a big asset to a company that is interesting you mentioned that i mean obviously that that's something i've never really thought about is because of the restraints um, having this tool could really help them to identify where they could be creative or help them to come up with creative processes and maybe look at potential partnerships locally um which i think would be obviously a benefit to, to many right so and it helps to advance this kind of circular recycling economy of, of sorts so uh very interesting well i think we've gone through quite kind of the main main things i guess are there any other i guess what is your thoughts in the future of the space right for esg SaaS platforms in general you know where do you see it in 10 years um kind of what should we look forward to what are you looking forward to
1: um, well, one of the things I love about working in this space, which I think will be the thing we look forward to, is it gets more people who need to be in the enterprise engaged in this and knowing that this is important now to the company um, because it's touching different elements where the, the data lives frequently in, in the company and we need to work with different groups that you may not traditionally think would be involved in sustainability. Sustainability used to be super siloed. It still is but it's changing. And so I think in you know over the next five to 10 years, what will happen and what, will this, what, what this will help to do is to get more people exposed to it. And that to me is, is so important in terms of education. Um, and it will allow more people, because I think you hear, I, I hear people all the time wanting to switch careers into this space. So if people can be in their area of expertise, but touching this, I think that's going to be a really great thing for the for the health of the planet and also for all of us who, you know, the people who want to get purpose and, and feel connected to maybe helping to do things. So I think it can be a real force for good, both in terms of helping the companies with all the benefits we talked about earlier, but also helping um, to give people more satisfaction and, and exposure to it in their jobs. Yeah,
0: that makes a lot of sense. I think that, you um... I don't know if anybody listening is a fan of Simon Sinek, but I really, I am, I'm quite a fan of him and his talk about, especially, I think he geared at millennials, his very famous talk about climbing the mountain and just wanting to get to the top right away. But generally speaking, the younger generation wants something to be like, to be aiming towards, right. They want to be part of something bigger. And if you're just at, you know, um, a local coffee shop, you might get, you know, a little bit I know I did not want to do something greater and something better, but if there's a specific mission behind it, it can actually really be really be fulfilling while you're, you know, working working your job and, and going through university. For example, um, awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. There's, this has been very interesting. I very appreciate uh, appreciative of, of you explaining these things. It's it's very tough topic, I think, for a lot of people. Um, so yeah, any any final thoughts you want to leave us with?
1: Um, no, I just I guess I would say that you no. Know, this area needs all of the passionate and, um, bright and enthused people working in it. And so, um, you know, anything that you hear that gets you excited, go in that direction and, you know, reach out to people. I'm always happy to, to talk to people who want to learn more about this, whether it's, you know, from any angle, if they're interested in getting into it. Um, so I just say, you know, let's, let's help companies and let's get more people working in this. So, and thanks for having me here to talk about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and by the way, where, where can people reach out to to you or to Sustainabase?
1: Um, so we're our, our URL is sustainabase.com. So you can find us there. There's a couple of um, contact forms. Feel free to, to respond on there. And you can even say that you heard me here if you wanted to connect directly. I'm also very active on LinkedIn. So, um, you should find me as Holly Lichtenfeld. Please reach out. And uh, those are probably the best ways.
0: All right. Very good. I, I sure hope a lot of people reach out. Maybe maybe they're looking for a career change. And hopefully, hopefully many good things come out of this. So thank you so much for coming on. And we'll see you next time.
1: Great. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you so much for joining on today's episode. I really hope you found value out of this conversation with Holly. Um, I really enjoyed speaking with her and kind of learning about this space. It's just so, super fascinating, kind of the different different moving parts that are in this industry, especially with there being so many things to to encompass when you're looking at ESG in general. So please, um, you know, share your thoughts, what you thought about the podcast, any questions that you wanted to follow up with, uh, or just kind of general thoughts in in the space in general. You can you know reach out to me on Twitter at Silas Maynard. Or you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm very active there, I'm always posting there. Of course, share your comments in the post. Um, and you can also, of course, join the Slack channel if you're interested in becoming more of a uh, part of the cli- climate tech and clean tech community. Uh, it's a great way uh, to to become a member of, you know, other people who are like-minded, learning, and other professionals who are I mean, somewhat deep into their career. Uh, our goal is to help foster connections there and help people to become more educated and, and just kind of advance their knowledge and their careers in those spaces. Um, also, feel free to please do share this with somebody who might find value out of this episode. Um, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of our friends typically, you know, they might be skeptical of some of these things that are kind of more uh, innovative. A lot of people have kind of uh, a low tolerance for, for risk. So maybe share, these, share this episode with somebody who, who might find value in it, might kind of start to see the sense of these things and why we do them. Um, also consider subscribing to the newsletter, which always comes out on the 27th of the month. This month with um, the holidays coming around the corner, we will be talking about sustainable shopping. So uh, d- a couple different practices that you can implement there and just kind of some of those uh, different, you know, maybe on a more individual level ways that we can be more sustainable. Uh, and you can also, of course, sh- support the show by going to uh, the Buy Me A Coffee link in the description. Uh, and you can support the show directly there. Um, another thing, too, just uh, last last thing here was a bit unusual. I actually just uh, recently post a blog, posted a blog about kind of an intro to ESG. Uh, so you can feel free to check that out. Link is also in the description if you want to kind of just do a quick read of, of some of the things going on. And I will continue to write about that over the coming weeks. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us on the episode today and we'll see you next time.